You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is Benny Goodman, and as you probably know by now, I'm attacking your eardrums with my voice. I'm sorry about that, but that it was also a lie. That said, you have a propensity to get too close to the mic. Am I too close now? No. I feel but like you might be in this episode. I don't remember. It's a metaphor, <laughs> but it really happened because I'm I'm trying to get close to people, and I, I mean, what I do is I mentally visualize it, just like Jason Leckberg, our guest this week, gets really close to the truth about the music industry. What do you think, Corey? I think he's uh, he's dropping knowledge left and right in this one. If you are an artist or a musician or anyone that's trying to market a product, uh, Jason is a guru. Well, just so people know, Corey and I are, well, quote unquote, and this is in quotes, producers. And every, all the time, people are like, hey, so what do I do? How do I become the biggest musician ever? Watch these episodes. And if you still want to be the biggest musician ever, Watch them again. You might not like the answers, though. <laughs> it's You're a lot right. of work. No, but what's, what's super cool about Jason, of course, I remember this, is like you have this impression of marketing guys where they're sitting in suits in an office. And then we got on Zoom. I'm like, dude, you look like the people I see backstage. So what's really cool about him to me is I feel like he really does see both sides. And he had some amazing input about marketing and branding and, you know, how to how to really forward your career with your strategy. We should also make mention that we, we also referenced the Oracle or as we like to refer to him as Dan Beck, who was our previous manager and also a, a music legend. Um, so when you hear us talking about him, just know that he's in the queue and that he's chapter two of things that you must do if you want to learn anything about actually doing something in this business. Like, make a podcast. Yeah, and we also talk uh, about Adam Gilbert, who we've mentioned in previous podcasts, and we keep promising we're going to get his episode out. So we'll do that <laughs> at some point, too. <laughs> Well, the problem is, is there have been so many drummers lately. Like, how many drummers can you have in a room at a time or on a week? Like, I, I'm drummed out, man. Yeah. I need to, like, drummers re- have a lot of knowledge, though. I learned a lot from drummers. It's like, in the it's last like serotonin. Weeks. I have to have, like, it reuptake, you know what I mean, before I'm able to release <laughs> the happy chemicals again. So, you're going to hear uh, some stuff about Dan Beck and Adam Gilbert. Those episodes are coming. We promise uh, we release things in random orders because we, uh, we have no idea what we're doing. Yep. Listen, in the words of David Lee Roth, Where's your number two pencil? Write this shit down. That's a great tagline for this episode. <laughs> so let's let's get into it with Jason Leckberg. All right, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benny Goodman, and welcome to another edition of 2020. We have on the dais over here. Miss Siobhan Cronin, the illustrious violinist. Uh, I, you're an uh, econ- economic person that knows biology. I mean, I sup- <laughs> and then, and then over here we have Corey Peza, not to be confused with just a bass player. He's more than that. He's a mixing guy. He's a production guy. He can play guitar better than most guitar players. Um, so we, I wouldn't want to call him just that. a bass player. And then, of course, I'm so excited that we have Jason Leckberg. <laughs> Who, like I can't even I can't even read all the things that he does. I had to like, I had to make notes. Jason, I'll just start off by saying is the hardest working dude in the music industry on so many levels, and we'll go into the levels of inception that Jason is such a like, there's just such a dichotomy slash Venn diagram 
to what he does as far as, you know, maybe he's getting coffee for Glenn Tipton. And then at the next moment, he's singing uh, really angry heavy metal uh, lyrics and having it mixed by the guy that works with Sting. So it's like, I'm confused and I have lots of questions. So with that, why don't we talk to Siobhan? She has something meaningful to say, I'm sure. What do I have to say this meaningful? I was I was just about to say that in addition to your resume, you have incredible hair. Like I didn't actually Thank look you. up what you look like and it wasn't intentional. I was like, oh, you know, you like get emails from people and you like think about what they look like maybe. But yeah, you you have what some you of the most think amazing Jason hair. What did you like? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I don't I don't know. I, I guess I don't even want to go there because it's just going to sound judgy. So we'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> did, you th- did you think he did you think he was a suit? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, but but that's really sad because what I was gonna say is like whenever someone sounds super like professional and on point, you somehow just don't imagine them possibly looking cool in real life. You know what I mean? Well, like that's really stupid, but like for some reason you. that tends to be true. Well, it's like thinking <laughs> so, yeah, that drummers don't read, and when Adam Gilbert's like, I like to suggest books to people. It's like it is unnerving yeah. because you don't hear a lot of drummers say, "Hey, man, have you read you know Paulo Coelho, The Alchemist?" Like that's not uh-huh. ever come out of like John Bonham's mouth. I don't think. I mean, he wasn't alive when that was written, but needless <laughs> to say, I don't think he would have read it. Well, we're all about breaking the stereotypes here, so. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yes. I get that a lot though. I get a, Oh, I, I expected you to be a suit or I thought you were going to be like all buttoned up, you know? And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm sleeved, you know? Yeah. Like, sorry. Nice. Nice. <laughs> nice. See, I usually get the opposite. People expect me to have long hair and to be badass, And then this sea crusty dude shows up and they're like, who is this dude? They're like, you're the guy. I honestly had no idea what to think you would look like based on your personality. There were just like so many options <laughs> when I first talked to you. So yeah, for, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, we've been working with Jason with Lost Symphony, lostsymphony.com. Uh, Lostsymphony.com. I'm missing my, uh, my advertisement I know, I'm missing right mine here. too. I'm in like a different place every week. Oh, hang on. Yeah, here we go. Oh my Lost gosh, Symphony.com. Pick up chapter one right now. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Jason, Jason's been working with us for quite a while, well, uh, helping let's, us let's with officially- the- Oh, I was going to say, officially, Jason runs Leckberg uh, Enterprises, and he is not only the singer of multiple bands, uh, you know, on the ground level, killing it, um, literally, with I Kill Ya, and a a new band that I'm going to let him talk about, um, but he has worked at Epic Records, he has... um, it sounds to me like you got in on the um, social media thing pretty fucking early on in the game. So like you're kind of, I mean, I, I think one of the things that actually it says uh, on here for me, what does an executive account director do for the, for the marketing company that represents relationships between celebrity and social media? Like I'm reading these things on your resume and I don't even understand them. Like, I don't even know what it means is when my dad tries to explain the stock market to me. I'm just like, did I lose money or do I have, like, do I have to clean dishes? What do you do, Jason? Can you explain to us well, plebeians? What's a day in the life? Yeah, well, I mean, that specific title, we could talk about that one. That was uh, years ago. That was 2006 or seven, something like that. Uh, and that was at a company. There was a guy who had a management company, managed a lot of big bands. Uh, and he met a guy who owned a company called Snapvine. And I don't know if you remember that technology back in the MySpace days, uh, but it was a place where there's a little widget on your MySpace page and you could call a phone number and leave a voicemail for an artist or for a celebrity oh, wow. or for anybody. Oh, yeah. And this manager said, you know what? I think this is this might be a thing. And he put it on Mudvayne, actually Mudvayne's MySpace page and melted Snapvine servers. Like their, their <laughs> wow, server completely crashed. Sure. And so he said, you know what? 
I think there's a company here. So he started this company that what we did is we went out and we represented every emerging technology we could find. And then we went to all the bands and said, hey, this new thing at that time, it was called Web 2.0, like this new web thing is the future. Let us represent you. And then we just put the two together and we would do all kinds of different promotions using these crazy different technologies. And I'm, you know, everything from the big names, you know, now Twitter, Eventful, Reverb Nation. We were the first agency for all of those. But then we also did one called Animigo, which was a social media for pets. Uh, and then we did a thing called Zwinky, and it was like the early version of like avatars, digital avatars in the, you know, inside computer world. And we, we put on a concert, a streaming digital avatar concert in 2007 on Earth Day wow. with like wow. Little Mama and T-Pain and like, you know, all that stuff. So at that time, that job was literally being the person between the celebrity and the technology and going, how do we market both of you to get both of you exposure? And that was, that was kind of what my, that was my first paid gig in the music industry. Cause before that I was a house painter and I just yelled at stuff and tried not to fall off stage. Wow. <laughs> okay. I was wondering how you end up there. So like, what about like prior to that? Like what was your background like prior to the working stages? I mean, I came in, you know, I'm, I'm from the Midwest. So out there, there's not much of a music industry. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me so, about it. I had to leave. Is it yeah, soda not, exactly. or is it pop or is it Coke? We call it pop, but I've called it soda for a long time since I, you know, like well, once yeah. I went away, I've been let transitioned. Let Jason answer. Don't. But no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. You're, oh, you're don't right, tell you're me right. about interrupting, Ben. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely Sorry, right. It is, uh, it is called pop where I'm from. <laughs> However, uh, I also refer to it as soda now because I've worked very hard to no longer be Midwest. Is that what's on uh, all their riders? You just saw it so many times. You're like, oh, well, Steel yeah. Panther yes. wants soda. So right. I got to write soda, not pop. Yes. I, got, I had to figure that one out. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there I, I just was a musician and I painted houses because I could have tattoos and long hair and my weekends yeah. off, you know. Huh. So yeah. uh, uh, then when I, I moved to New York City in 2005 and I continued painting in New York for a couple of years, um, which was just, you know, again, I was what I knew. Uh, and, uh, my wife, who the woman is my wife. Now I was living with her at the time. We weren't married yet. She worked at Sony. Uh, and so I started meeting kind of some of her friends and other people. And just, I got to a point where I wanted to make a change and to her credit, she let me, uh, resign from being a painter and live on savings for three months while I interned. And I interned at a, a publishing company and at a place called MI2N, which is like the, I don't know, like a, a news site, but for world music. Uh, and I did both of those for three months until I got the opportunity to go work for Buddy Lube, which was the, the technology I was just, or the company I was just telling you about. Wow. So, so did you meet your wife yeah. in New York or did, is she also Midwestern? No, she's from, well, she's from Connecticut, but she lives okay. in New York. I, uh, we met in Youngstown, Ohio, which is exactly wow. six hours from yeah. each place, six hours from New York and six hours from where I'm from in just South of Indianapolis. Uh, and, uh, we met at a stoner rock festival. Huh. I, I went out there to, uh, to meet chicks and hang out and be like <laughs> badass with my, my buddies in this stoner rock band. And nice. they were like, you want to go to this festival? And I was like, hell yeah. Cause I thought festival. So I'm thinking like 20,000 people and like girls everywhere. It was like 400 people in a club in Youngstown. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We played the, some of those. <laughs> yeah. It was called the Naya Bingy. The club's now gone but a okay. tiny little club. And I think she was one of 
maybe a dozen women at the wow. whole weekend. Uh, and most of them were with other bands. Uh, and I just, you know, she asked me what time it was at a, at, on one day. And I was like, how you doing? You know, and <laughs> Take that was that. to Vegas. Sounds <laughs> like it works the odds pretty well. Amazing. I got, I got, I got lucky. I did get lucky. Yeah. Wow. Hey, what, what, um, so what prompted the move to New York? Was it the job? I mean, at, at that point I was like, I wanted to get out of Indiana. I, mm-hmm. I could not have waited. I mean, I, Indiana was just not, it's, you know, I lived in a town called white land, Indiana, and it's across the street from new white land, Indiana. And on the other wow. side of Indianapolis oh from white's town, Indiana. So oh like, my God, that's Indiana, you know? <laughs> so the, the sooner I could get out, the better. Uh, and, and I had like my first marriage ended and my band had broken up and I was like, you know what? Like it's time for something different. So I was kind of looking for anywhere and i possibly was going to go to Chicago. I went up there on audition for bands and I looked at mm-hmm. Boston and LA and like all over the place. And, uh, and then when I met her, I had never been to New York. And so we kind of were corresponding and like getting to know each other. And she came out and spent a weekend with me. And then I flew to New York. And as soon as I got to New York, I was like, Oh, like this, this is the city. Like this is yeah. what I say this all the time, but it's a hundred percent true. It's the first place I'd ever been in my life where I wasn't walking faster than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh, this is where I this is where I need to be." And so from that point, like, we're, Jeez, I mean, she and I were gone walking with me because I walk faster than everybody, and I walk in front of every girl I've ever dated, and I'll be like six miles ahead of everybody. <laughs> oh and my like, god, grandma's so behind bad. me, and it's so rude. Siobhan's like, "Are you gonna wait for me?" Like, who are you? So like, <laughs> I'll go walking with you anytime, bro. Let's All right, do this. we'll do it. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll picture, you guys, picture you guys speed walking. Oh, but, yeah. By the way, I heard you saying something about falling off the stage, and then I remember w- reading an interview with you, and I wrote, I wrote it down. Um, it says that the edge of the stage is a physical manifestation of how you feel of the music industry, but then you never explain what the fuck that means. <laughs> what the hell? Uh, what kind of statement is that, Jack Handy? I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe the, the, the host wasn't quite as accomplished as you and didn't follow up in the appropriate manner. I think that's I thought the... it was produced by Leckberg Enterprises. What's, the, what's up with that? No, I'm just kidding. Well, what, what does that mean? I thought that was a really interesting statement. That is. And, yeah, and I like that. I, but I want to know where, because what our viewers may not know is that Jason, much like Dan Beck, is an oracle, but from a different time. So where Dan's like a brontosaurus, that's in like a different time period, <laughs> hanging out with like the other, um, you know, animals before the the giant thing, the meteor hits the, the world. Chase is now like rediscovering how to, he's part of, uh, you know, the transcendence of a singularity uh, of how the world's going to change because he is the future by understanding all of these things. So everything that comes out of your mouth, it's like an epiphany to me because I only know what the Brontosaurus <clears throat> has told me. You know what I mean? And now I'm finding out that what was once then there's since been a meteor and that everything that you're telling me is now the accurate thing. That was you know, it, such a long explanation. It was incredible. I, I absolutely loved it. I love that. And, and honestly, you know what? Every time I talk to Dan Beck, I also walk away going, that conversation is going to make me a better music marketer. Like He's that guy. That's awesome. I have met so few people in my career so rare, that, yeah. that have like, that just have such wisdom and knowledge mm-hmm. And, and such a calm strength to it too. Every time I talk to him, I go, wow. Like, why did well, I never think of that? You because know? he could be like, at the end of the day, everybody you've ever worked with pays me. 
That's a good point. He told us the music industry, like everybody in the music industry contributes to his fund. I'm like, everybody's like everybody. I'm like, so you're like the panhandler holistically for the music industry. So like, that's the, he's the Tony Soprano. But he's so creative though. I like when we interviewed him, that was something that I learned about him because I hadn't, you know, talked to him much like on a personal level, but I was like, wow, this guy is like the perfect fusion of someone that's like executive power with like super creativity because a lot of people yeah. it's just one or the other you know and so and, it's and empathy. So successful absolutely yeah. Yeah. and yeah. empathy that that's the biggest thing for me is that you know i i did my time as you said in epic i was i was at the majors and then i went to 11.7 which is probably it's basically a major label but it's a giant independent and i hated every minute of working in that structure. I loved the bands. I loved what I did, but the Mm -hmm. environment is so toxic and it's Mm -hmm. so just like combative and horrible. And I Mm -hmm. hear him talk about his time when he was there at a time that was even more toxic and more insane than I was. And, and he had the, has the clarity and had the clarity and the empathy to understand what really mattered and how to talk Mm. to the people internal of the company. And that's one of the last conversations he and I had. I took so much away from it. As a a stupid person to to understand what you're saying. So where you were on the edge of the stage, Dan is off the stage crowd surfing to the end (laughs) of the venue, maybe out of the venue. It's very possible. In Amsterdam. (laughs) It's very possible. I mean, to, to speak, uh, you know what, I'll, I'll speak to that, to that analogy. What I was saying is that uh, both for myself personally and the music industry, where I think it should be, is at the, what I like to call the bleeding edge. You need to be at the very forefront of everything that's happening. And music, there was a time when music introduced technology to the world. Music introduced the CD to the world. I mean, the Philips Corporation that invented the CD, the music industry went to them and said, we want the exclusive right to exploit this technology for a certain amount of time. And in return, we're going to give you a piece of music sales. So the Phillips corporation made a bunch of money off the music industry so that the music industry could go take CDs and introduce it to the consumer and say, here's the new way you're going to experience music because the music industry at the time was smart enough to go, Hey, everybody's going to rebuy all the albums. We already sold them. Right? So there was a time when, that was the cutting edge of technology. And that's how I like to think about where we need to be in the music industry. We need to be thinking always about what's next. What's the next thing? How do we reach people in a different way? And, and for myself personally, I want to be at the edge of the stage. I want to, I want that little bit of fear that like, I don't know if this one's going to work out. I want to be the first person to do things. I want to be right there and go, this is everything I've got. And if it doesn't work, I'm falling into the abyss, but like, it's everything I've got. And to me, that's, that's, that's exciting. That's like, I I don't want to just rehash the same marketing plan that somebody else has done. I don't want to pump out the same idea. I want to be like, what's different. How do we be different? How do we be special? You know, that's why I pick and choose the products I work projects I work with too. You know, you guys are a perfect example. You know, there's, there is a, yeah, a talk about real, a challenge. It's, it's, a, it's absolutely a challenge, but, but there's something well, there on, because you Scott, know, what? our sponsor called me today and said, Jason was so excited. He finally has something he thinks he can get behind. I'm like, Oh, so it's not music related. You, you could say I, he's excited <laughs> about people talking. Of course he is. Cause that's, that's saleable trying to sell well, instrumental shred music to people. is like saying, Hey man, let's try to sell. I don't know. Judaism to people door to door. It's part of the same it's reason the class. It's, it's part work, of the same man. reason classical music is hard to sell because you know it takes a certain level of understanding of you know the, the nobody music, owns maybe the, the copyrights. Theory. No one's making money, Siavon Bach. No, no, no. But it's not that. I mean, people, 
No, but performers are making are making money doing yes. their, you know, renditions of, of classical music. But yeah, a lot of it comes down to, you know, having to educate the public on why this is cool. And that takes a lot more work than just doing something that's more accessible. There, there's more yeah. commitment in that, you know, there's yeah. an extra step. I mean, you don't think it's got for the cool? record, though, for the record, though, I didn't say I didn't say that now I've got something I can wear. That didn't happen. That's, Scott, that's, that's, a, that's a Scottism. Uh, no, no, that sounds like a Benny I'm, embellishment. I'm, I'm, I think he's okay, right, sort of My telephone skills are terrible. The point is, is that, like, in fact, I'll tell my personal firsthand story. I called you. And I and oh, I yeah. and I had yeah. said you know that invite you onto the show, and you said Benny, we got this. And normally I expect Jason to to, to be like nihilistic, like dude, if we barely get like thirty percent to home base, <laughs> like we'll be killing it. And now he's like Benny, we got this. And I'm like, so we're, the cool calm that he's talking about, Dan Beck. It was the first time that Jason ever said it in the same sentence as my name. And about the show, I was like, oh, my God, he's excited about something. And that energy transfers. And I called Scott. Maybe maybe this is it. Maybe we have to talk and yell in our basements to sell music. So, Jason, what do you think about that idea? You know, I think that uh, that the thing that is the most compelling and the most exciting about what we consider kind of the, the great and the legacy artists that have happened in the music industry is that they are personalities. You hear people yes. talk about the fact that the layman says they have it. We don't know what it is, right? But someone with it can sell, you know, they can sell a ketchup popsicle to a woman wearing white gloves in the summer, like mm -hmm. doesn't matter. So if you've got this new medium and you have the ability to go out and talk to people in a different way, let's do it. Let's, you know, that's the same reason Michael Jackson could sell Pepsi and different people could sell other things. It, it, when you are that personality and you have that character, if there's a, a way to express it differently and a way to to brave new ground with it, let's go do it. That's yeah. that's marketing. He yeah, you know, he, I watched he burned for Pepsi, man, and a giant <laughs> conflagration, which is a song on chapter two. Lost uh, .com. Uh. conflagration. But like, I'm just telling you, all that went up in flames for Pepsi. So if anything, if you have empathy, which is what we like about Dan Beck, you should go buy Pepsi just to remember Michael Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what? But to go back, what you just said, I, I actually just saw Brought this great little mini, mini docu series on Netflix about Garth Brooks. I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's really good, and that's really what it's all about. Is like, why is he such a sensation? And so much yeah. of it really just comes down to that it factor. It's like he totally. had people that were willing, like in his hometown, to give him money to support him going to Nashville, and people like wanted him to be successful. And it was because of him. I mean, obviously, great musician, but there was yeah. something that was like like that fire, you know, I, that, that ask, had nothing to do with music. Can I, can I defer to the professional here? So here's what <laughs> I think it is. So while there's everybody else doing EDM and doing pop music and, and metal over there on an island out that way with a bunch of tequila and rum and like just like fur jackets and all that, there's all the country people making fucking money. It's called Nashville. All those people are just destroying Nashville's everything. Nashville's not an island. Though. I know, I'm just making that up. The point <laughs> is, is that it's like an island and it's like a heaven. It's like cloud nine yeah. because country, to my knowledge, like, listen, I thought bands were big and then you go to Country Fest every year and they have, you know, whether it's uh, Garth Brooks or whatever. Uh, I can't even think of country people that are at those places, but great guitar players, Keith Urban or someone. Um, and you're like... You're happy if you have 200 people to see your metal band. And it's like, if you don't have 75,000 people capacity at the country fest, it doesn't even matter who's playing. If yeah, they're not singing Wagon that. Wheel, like, that's a yeah. whole different world, dude. Like, it's because it's, it's country. 
No, it's because, but think about it. Content wise, it is the most accept, like accessible subject matter for most Americans, you know, talking it's, about it's like pop. home on, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's pop, pop, but even pop just with lyric, the Southern drawl. Yeah, well, yeah. But lyrically. Everyone empathizes with yeah. what people hate or are upset about and what's country music about. It's about losing your farm. It's about losing your dog. <laughs> but now, but we've emulated it to pop, right? So it's now about like losing your boyfriend if you're Taylor Swift. Thank you, Max Martin, the guy living in Sweden that knows all about uh, country music. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, because, that's what people, that's what people relate to. Yeah. But you know what? I, I mean, I you know, my personal opinion is that everything at the in the upper money echelon of every genre is just pop. Five finger death punch, you can take those songs and play them country. That it doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't matter what it is. Those 100%. you know pick pick whatever rapper that you want, you know, assign that. I mean, it's it's all just really actually pop. And it happens to be that country is very relatable to middle America. They feel very comfortable with it. They like it. And the big reason country music has so much more money too is because the genre and its listeners are still, I don't want to, I want to say this nicely. Um, they still like older technology. Let's say that. So they're still buying <laughs> they're CDs. Nostalgic. nostalgic. They're nostalgic. They're yes. nostalgic <laughs> for CDs that they can put in their F-150 and drive around. Hell and, yeah! Yeah, and America. so... You could take that look- job and shove it! I'm gonna get my Bumblebee V10! I'm gonna take it out! I'm gonna do donuts! In the parking lot! That, I mean, that does dirt. sound fun. Yeah, it does, actually. But on the other <laughs> side of things, there's not many places where um, lo- one location is almost a genre. So you have, like, Nashville, yeah. where which, which is almost like an industry to pump out country music. So that's so streamlined that it's set up for success really it really is yeah. like you just have this all these talented musicians that just spend eight hours a day cutting songs and then you have all these artists that go that's the hit i'll take that one thank you bye yeah. <laughs> do you know why siobhan's you know, made it because she hustles what i said that one of the reasons you've made it in the music industry which is why you're bigger than all of us put together and your star set band your star set allegiance star set society whatever it is is because i just watched you walk from room to room and you like run Everywhere you go, you have a mission. No, it's, no, you're it's never because bored. I'm it. There's not enough time in the day for you. That's why you've made no, it. I'm, We're sitting here getting I'm fat. I'm saying it. No, I, I mean, no, 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 it's fine. I left I left my mom with, with her car key, so I have her car key. Anyway, keep talking. I'm here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, the point that you're making, Benny, though, is is very, very valid. And in fact, you know, we talk about people who have it, and that's awesome. And the people who have it, that's important. You need that. But you also need the tenacity and the, I like to say, testicular fortitude to be able to stick it out in the music industry because the music industry is a series of no's every single day. It's 15 different people that want to tell you no in one way or the other. And it's not about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and stay standing. And, and so you've got to have both and all of the big stars have both and they've been through everything and they've been told no so many times and they've, they've had to believe in themselves. I mean, and that, you have to have both of them or you're not going to succeed. At best, you'll have a flash in the pan. It does explain a lot of those egos because to be successful in the music industry, you have to be a little bit delusional. I mean, because yep. one of my favorite quotes, and I don't even know if it's a real one, but someone told it to me one day and attributed it to Bono. But someone asked Bono, um, you know, from from you two, um, did you ever think you'd be in the biggest band in the world? And he said, I always knew I was in the biggest band in the world. I just didn't know when the world was going to figure it out. And that's the type of ego, lead singer's disease, that David Lee Roth, you know, from Van Halen, all those people have. But, like, you have to have, like, you couldn't be David Lee Roth unless you were really that guy. And and it's part of being a musician because, like, 
What do you tell people, Jason, when they come in your office and say, we're going to be the next lamb of God? Okay, cool. <laughs> if you, if you want to do that, here's what you got to do. Yeah. Go, let's, let's go for it. There's no and good at the luck end of the involved. day, no, there's, there's no good luck involved because I'm not, I'm not a fan of luck. I don't, I don't like, I don't like the idea of luck. I think that I have to concede. To, I have to concede to the idea of fate because I think it's impossible to deny that fate exists, but I don't like the idea of luck. And I think that, uh, that you make your luck. And so I agree. At, at the end of the day, you know, it doesn't matter how good you are as a band and how much it you have and how hard you work, the public gets to ultimately decide whether or not you get to have success in the music industry or in anything artistic. And that is an unfortunate reality. But there is a very clear set of steps of this is what you have to do to be able to create work, to market work, to put work into the public and to promote it. And if you're doing those things and you just stay in the game, the people who are in here are just the ones that have stayed the longest. And there are people who have careers now that arguably probably shouldn't have the career, but they just wouldn't leave. And so they've got a career and maybe they don't have a huge career, but they're succeeding. And I'm not going to name names, but there's several bands that come to mind and I'm sure you guys can think of them. And then there's amazing bands who didn't have the tenacity to like stick it in and say like, I'm going to like, I'm going to be here every day. And because they didn't, they're not around anymore, even though they may be 10 times more talented than somebody else who was next. Yeah, I, got, I got arrested and that guy art from Everclear was trying to defend me as a lawyer. I'm like, why the fuck are you not on tour, dude? And he was like, I'm making money as a lawyer. Really? What? Art Alexakis is a lawyer? No, no, they actually, I think, well, that's actually a story. That's a true story was all those guys, I think, were lawyers. And that and that, that, that was their day job. And Everclear was their fucking, like, side wow. gig. And that the reason that they, like, did their own thing was because they were actually lawyers. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. I mean, I, that makes, again, could could oh. be, again, fact-checked. You know, like, Facebook shuts us down. They're like, no, dude, that's actually Marcy's playground, sex and candy. I'm like, oh, fuck. Got my 90s well, but- wires crossed. Art Alexakis does have a lot of lyrics about like divorce and legal things. And like, <laughs> so that's interesting. Yeah. Like, uh, like the one about buying you a house and like, that's, I'm, I'm going to look buy into you that. A new life. A, buy you a new life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. All right. Learn something that guy's new a storyteller. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's apparently a giant dick, but he's a story. He is a dick. I <laughs> so. actually got stuck in a dorm room once with him at Providence college when I was like 17 years old. It was pretty funny. I saw they were a good show though, and I think it was Soul Coughing was opening. It was a good show, you know, nineties huh. like it was like PC. Yeah. Except it really happened. No John Favreau. <laughs> um, so you kind of touched... got that. It's probably not you, even on um, Netflix. I've, I've seen PCU. I think <laughs> I have it on DVD. Listen, you you have to see PC. <laughs> if you haven't seen PCU, Spinal Tap, and Airheads, you're fired. But like most people, they're like PCU. You're like, dude, it has like uh, Farley in it. It has uh, David Spade in it. It has so many. There's so many good people in that movie. But they they've just and Steve Vai even wrote the soundtrack for it. The guitar player who did Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure actually added guitar to that movie. Um, so when they throw the meat out the window, and it's Jeremy I Piven, lo- the guy um, from what's that show? Uh, he plays Entourage. 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 Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's Jeremy Piven. But the funny part is, he has more hair now than he does in that movie. This is Jeremy Piven pre Ben Stiller days. This is like when he was in Something About Mary, when he had bad teeth and like hair plugs, and he was kind of fat. Like that's PCU. Now you see Jeremy Piven, and he's like all jacked with perfect hair. It's funny. It's a good movie. 
I love the fact that your reference for Steve Vai is the guy who wrote the, the Bill and Ted. <laughs> <laughs> That's Steve Vai. That's what Steve Vai's done. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know, Ben Gort's like, oh, work. dude, I played Beethoven. Fuck you. <laughs> Steve Vai hasn't done anything else in his oh, career. No, never. That's it. No, he's done nothing else. <laughs> Fuck Crossroads. <laughs> Uh, a little while back, you, Ben brought up the, uh, what, what would you say if a band wanted to be Lamb of God? And uh, yeah. I guess, what would be, in a, in a broad sense, your general advice to a, maybe a band that's never thought about marketing or only thinks about, you know, posting on social media as they're marketing? What would a, a maybe newer band, what would be the first steps to get them on the path to that next level? I think the, the first thing that you have to have is you have to have an understanding of what your brand is. What is your brand? Because you can't market anything. You can't post on social media. You can't have any kind of a consistent, you know, marketing strategy whatsoever. If you don't know what your brand is, you know, what does it look like? Let's, you know, Coca-Cola has a brand guide that tells you the Pantone numbers of the color that you can use when you're talking about Coca-Cola. They have a thing that shows how far every other word has to be from the Coca-Cola logo. If it's being placed or printed anywhere, like, get that granular write your brand statement what is what are your colors what is your band about what is what are you saying that's different what is your messaging and then create a cohesive thing with that in mind everything you're that you're putting right out there now needs to be following literally that. sounds like my inner monologue when i'm having an anxiety attack <laughs> this is why you should hire jason because jason will do all this worrying for you <laughs> and then tell you what I, you're doing wrong which he was happy to do trust me and you know, I, he, I, I do he's like always that. right. He's another yeah. one like Marty Friedman. And at the end of the day, Jason will be like, okay, guys, you could do that. I mean, I've told you what I think, but you didn't hire me for what I think. It, it's he's funny because right. musicians do really get overwhelmed with ideas like that. Like, we're like, we yeah. just spent, you know, six months in the studio. We got this great record and everything. And like, all right, so what's your brand? You're like, ah, stop. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, that's, that's scary. We're going to be the next Pantera. They haven't been around since 2004. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> no, it's, I, it's tough. Go, go ahead, Siobhan. No, no, go. I was just going to say that that's one thing that I really, I learned a lot from Starset about is like the music almost came after the brand idea. And that is so well, I mean, essential. Look how many Scientologists Dustin has. <laughs> oh my God. No, but I mean, but there, there is something amazing about how consistent and how like incredibly precise everything is with the branding. And that, that definitely has to come first because it's not something you can really fix later. You know, your brand has to speak through everything. And, you know, it's something that I even struggle with, like, because, you know, as creative people, we're so tempted to be like, oh, here's this cool thing I did. And like, even just the way you represent stuff that you're working on that might make sense to you. It might not make sense. to But the you realize that, that Starset gets to have the stage show and all those extra trailers that Jason was talking about being in the next echelon because Dustin. Jason has, Costa. Uh, yeah, Jason Costa. I'm sorry to get people reference. Jason Costa, the drummer from All That Remains was like, you yeah. know, you to get from the van to the, the bus is a big deal. And you get from the bus to the band that has like the lots of buses. And I'm like, we like, like star set. And it's because <laughs> Dustin literally is like, I'm going to invent a universe. I'm going, literally yeah, a universe, right. space. I'm going to make that mine. I'm going to take over, you know, the web. I'm going to call this one space. And we're star set. And there's a society. Yeah. And then I don't even know about it, but I've learned enough through like osmosis that like I already know everything about your brand and I, I, I wake up thinking about your music and I don't even know the lyrics. But that's how precise a brand has to be. You do almost have to, to have a story. Like your story has to be so precisely well-written, you know? And I, yeah, I think you're totally right. 
Well, and Starset too. I mean, I think Starset is probably the best example I've seen of this in the last decade from like new bands wow. that have come out. Avatar did a great job. Yeah. But I would say Starset is is even more on point because like that first promo image where the three members are in the glass, full glass helmets. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, like when you see that and you see the name Starset, you automatically know immediately, mm -hmm. you know what that mm -hmm. is. And that it's image, like Sergeant I, I, Pepper. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, it's uh, that's iconic. I didn't, I mean, as soon as I saw that, I was like, I understand this brand. And that mm -hmm. is beautiful to me. Like that, that's one of those bands that, I mean, I, I'll just be honest. I'm not a big fan of the music, but I'm also not mm -hmm. a big fan of like, active rock kind of in general right. i don't, yeah, I don't chase very, a lot yeah. of that but yeah but the branding i've been paying attention to that band from the jump because i'm like whoa they got it this well, is you go to the show and people are like literally act and i said i said this in a previous podcast but people will actively like push the brand into your face like if you're not part like witnessing what's going on they will involve you like to the point yeah. of like questioning like why are you even here like do you really know what's going on like have you been audited by dustin i have like you know what I mean? like and, and they go on about it but like they all understand and like i said last time i was like i know these people and they're like yes we know these people they're star set <laughs> yeah it's a whole universe you know yeah he created yeah. a universe and then everything that falls into it makes sense you know the use yeah. of technology it all it's just amazing. complements the message I'm, I, by the and, way yeah. i know that i say and i just want to go on record saying this i know i talk a lot of crap about you guys but like i say that because I'm just so amazed that like, it's again, like I look at it and I say Scientology because Isaac Asimov, the famous science uh, fiction writer said um, to uh, um, Hubbard, who's the guy that invented Scientology, um, you can't make up a religion. And he's like, oh yeah. And pretty much was like, hold my beer and then made Scientology. <laughs> and Dustin's yeah. kind of like, hey man, like you can't make up more things about space. And he's like, really? I'm going to put space people and make Jason Lechberg say it's iconic. And I'll say a Beatles <laughs> comment afterwards. And he doesn't yeah. even say that I'm wrong. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, you know, and here's the crazy thing. Like you've got, there's not, they're not the only space themed band. That's the thing that, that is so good about it is that not only is it uh, a very specific brand about space, but within that, it has its own visual language. It has its own marketing. It has its own theme. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's the level that you need to get to. And I think that that even carries bands. I mean, and I, I know this is completely unpopular opinion, but I say it all the time. I don't like Kiss. I think Kiss songs are weak sauce. I was Freely, Space is the Spaceman, but it's is Star Set, I think, with 2 billion streams. You might actually be the real space people. Because it's, he it's was possible. a spaceman. Because there's people like I'm telling you, there's a bunch of people that listen to country music as well that would probably beat you up for saying that Kiss aren't the that that the spaceman is not yeah. the real space people. But there are so many people from Star Set that if you put those people in the same room, that I think the Star Set people would win. Now, like <laughs> times have changed; they are changing. <laughs> Oh I God. think, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just super important, you know, and, and Corey, to your point that started all this, you know, understanding that brand, understanding who you mm -hmm. are is definitely step number one. And then step number two is making sure that everything you do reinforces that brand. Right. And then yeah. from that point, it's about, you know, look, I've said this very, very often, like the music industry and everybody who works for you in the music industry, their job is to find new audience for you. That's all we do. Mm -hmm. Every single day we get up and go, okay, wait a minute who hasn't heard this yet and how do we get them to hear it? And mm -hmm. then the public gets to decide whether or not they like it, but we're just getting it to the audience. Right. And when you have a hit, then the job switches to running ahead of the band being like, let's move everything that could possibly trip them. 
right? But because mm-hmm. a hit does its own thing. Hold on, so, but just to be the, the devil's advocate, but let's say like you're someone like me and I'm, an, I'm a stupid guitar player in a band and I hear what you just said and I go, but what's the difference between you and my mom sharing it on Facebook? Oh, ostensibly nothing. Okay. Because my mom's really good at sharing things. And I actually know <laughs> yeah. Anne-Marie is really good at sharing Siobhan stuff. And there's even people that share Siobhan and Brock stuff that doesn't even, that's not even them. So, right. well, I mean, look, it is, yes. And social media has changed things significantly. That's one of the main ways that social media has changed things. But, you know, there's something to be said for relationship. There's something to be said for strategy. And, you know, I know people who are my peers or I people get along who I work with. with my mom. It. Well, there you go. That's good. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> I've worked with some bands that I don't get along with. So that, you know, that causes problems. But, you know, I mean, the issue is that, that, you know, I, I'm not scared of any of the tactics being out there because they're already out there. It's about follow through and about who can actually execute. So yes, your mom can share, but can your mom put together and actually execute a three month social campaign with multiple assets mm-hmm. that tell a story that's cohesive? Andrea, that- Jason Leckberg from Leckberg Enterprises is putting you on notice. <laughs> no, she listens to these, and I, I know we were told by the sponsors, which are Lost Symphony, LostSymphony.com, um, to not get it too personal. But like, my mom does listen and audit all of these things. So like, the fact that I'm talking about her, she'll you know she'll say, "But I can do that." And you have to understand, my mom, like, she's. Let me just give you a background. She's Greek Orthodox, oh but she chose to be Jewish. You know what I mean? She's a Jewish mother okay. because my old rabbi said that you you aren't born Jewish, your soul's born Jewish. And my mom's soul is a Jewish mother. So just realize that anything you say that you can't do, like my mom, my grandfather said, you're not gonna play piano, here's a guitar. And my mom became a classical pianist in college. She, she learned how to play piano at a really high level, like probably better than I can even play. I mean, I can't, but the point that I'm getting at is, I love that you're saying that because she literally is gonna be like, but I can do that, Jason. Yeah. I'm gonna, I, <laughs> You know what? I, now, I can put it together. You you be surprised. You just lined up some competition now. We're yeah, to, I, I may I may have just I may have just worked myself out of a job. I, I don't know what just happened there. Oh my god, no. <laughs> no, but what, but, but what you were saying. No, but what you were saying about executing a plan with like all these different facets. I think that's that you should keep going with that because I think that's interesting. You know, like some people probably fall short in one or two of those you know different areas, and maybe talk yeah, more I mean, about it. Because it, it is about, it is, and it's not just about executing, but it's also understanding, you know, to some extent, they're all guesses, but understanding kind of mm-hmm. from experience, what are the bets that we need to take? And some things are, you know, make more sense for a certain genre or for a certain artist or whatever it is than, than others. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, figuring those things out and then helping execute, you know, down that, that lane and everything matters. That's the thing. It's like, it's one of the most frustrating things about the music industry. You can never do enough. It doesn't matter how big you are. I mean, I, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, but like there's seven and a half billion people on the planet right now. Right. So mm-hmm. how many records has Led Zeppelin sold? How many records have the Beatles sold? Even if they've sold 400 or 500 million records, there are still more people that don't like the Beatles. than do like the, Beatles. the world has streamed star set. Great. That's, but that's only 25, 75% of the world doesn't You're like right. star set. No, that's so a, that's a good do, point. It doesn't matter how big you are. The work is never done. Right. There's always more to do. And to a certain extent that can be comforting because you can step back and go, okay, 
all right, I'm, I've worked hard and I'm, there's always going to be somebody who's going to say something negative and I just have to accept that and that's life. But on the other side of it, it's like, you can always do more. So everything matters, but it's about looking at all of the things that are possible, looking at your budget, looking at your, the human capital and the energy that you have and making the choices for which of these things are likely to deliver the most results, the fastest and focusing and developing a plan to navigate through those. And that's just experience. That's just doing it. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you see bands doing that they should stop immediately? Um, he has a pain. There's so many question. things. There's so many things. Good question. <laughs> I will say this. Uh, all right, so let's, one of my big pet peeves, and this is probably because as a musician myself, I, I have experienced this one a lot, but like, if you uh, understand, I'll say this as a general and then I'll dive into it. One of the sure. biggest things that goes across everything is know your lane, know your lane, know <laughs> what lane you are in and who you're talking to and what lane they're in understand that mm -hmm. that is it's just pivotal so you have to educate yourself and if you're talking to somebody that is operating at a different level of the industry than you are you have to rise to that level you have to speak on that level you have to understand their wants and their needs otherwise you're just wasting their time so mm -hmm. that's that's kind of in general in a specific thing like get the fuck off the stage like if you are a local band from, <laughs> oh from fucking God, wherever man, Bumblefuck yeah. Egypt, like, oh. like do, you know what? You don't need an in-ear set. You don't need full stacks. You absolutely <laughs> don't need your own lighting rig and you don't need through three crew members. Get the fuck on the stage, play less than a 30 minute set and get the fuck off the stage. I don't stage. even care if they have three crew members if they're on and off in five minutes because I could by myself could set my shit up and I don't mind that if there's like, crew and to get them the fuck out of there the problem is is when you have a band that plays like they're like oh yeah this is our last song just kidding and they're already seven minutes over they brought nobody and then you get your set cut because all your friends are fucking waiting but you're the band that's in the middle that has to that's, like yeah. make up for the fucking time yeah because that's always that's the perfect really time point. slot so and then mm. and then you have the people there and then people get mad because they're like why did you only play 24 minutes when for 17 months you've begged us to come to your show and it's like because that <laughs> band not only played an extra 32 minutes but the fucking sound guy who apparently now is paying attention to time was like hey it doesn't matter we'll give you a line check you know what change your guitar fucking tune it in fact use another guy's head from another band because we know you don't even have one that works and that's fine because I'm always the guy getting cut off that actually worked hard to get people there to get the slightly better slot. And then the sound guy realizes after snorting the fucking line of ants with Ozzy in the back that, hey, man, maybe you should stick to schedule. So, Jason, holy shit, there's <laughs> nothing you could have possibly said that I could possibly amen more than get the fuck off the stage, take the pedal board, Dude, throw it, just fucking they need, get the fuck off. They need, they need the selfie with the crowd, though. <laughs> yeah, oh my for for the social media my, post. One of my no, yeah. you just you're totally yeah. Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> one one of my favorite ones is we played. I'm not even gonna say where because this band <laughs> might see this, but we I was on tour and we played in a city out in the west. And the band that uh, one of the opening bands on the on the night showed up with a drum kit that was permanently mounted to a drum riser because they all their drummer always had to have his own riser so he had one of these metal grades and and the drum kit was like literally like bolted down to the riser and so normally what they would do is they had their crew there and they would grab the whole riser and walk it up on stage they had apparently never been to this venue before and didn't realize that this venue had one of those like four foot walls across 
a good section of the yeah. stage. Oh, you know, God. it's like like one of those old bars, and this used yeah. to be like where the tables were. Now this is where the stage is. So they couldn't. Now they had to not only lift it up onto the stage, they had to lift it up another four feet. The whole drum riser, metal drum riser, and the kit, and it they couldn't yes. do it. Like they weren't strong enough, so they had to go like recruit more people to come over and fight. It was nightmare. I was just like, fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> That's insane. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that also proves the point that you just have to be willing to be flexible with like, you know, you can't necessarily require something like at the burden of Drummers other people. You know, you got to be able to like run assholes. with it. No, I mean, there and are always going to be always a drummer snafus. that asks to use other drummers fucking shit. And then they put a giant fucking thing in the, in, in, in the snare. They fuck up the top the top head and then you get your cymbals back cracked because they're like hey we don't have cymbals first off it's one thing to ask to use a stool to use a fucking kick pedal but to use someone's cymbals that's just like hey can I put my spit in your mouth don't fuck all those people I just want you to know I hate every <laughs> one of you and if you all spontaneously combusted simultaneously so, so this reminds soon. me this reminds me of, of, of a long long time ago before Ben and I really knew each other uh, we both played in bands in Boston and uh, every now and then our bands would cross paths and inevitably, uh, before every show, I would get an email. Hey, man, are you bringing your cab? I, I was gonna. You know, I, was just, I just figured it'd be easier if I uh, just used your your stuff. I'm in this. Uh, I, have a, I have a recording studio. <laughs> the, uh, the the Ben Goodman emails preceded uh, our our long, very deep oh friendship. That we you know, well, I will that's tell amazing. you though, that's because this certain promoter knew that I have. I'm a gear whore, so he was like, "You could just backline every show." I'm like, but why do you think that my drummer wants you to have all those bands rape his kit? And then why do you want me to take my beautiful Mesa cab and have Tweedledum and Tweedle fucking stupid over here put like the wrong impedance to it and they don't even, what's impedance? It's why it's exploding, you fucking moron. So yeah, that's why I would write to people like you because I would always make a note when I'd ever see another guitar player, he's not fucking stupid. I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. I was on the not no, stupid no, no, list. No, yes. and then I'd be like, okay, has a 5150 big block right behind him. Good tone, heavy, willing to carry heavy things. And I'm like, must have a cab that handles a 5150. Plays a Gibson. Sounds in tune. This guy is going to be the guy that I'm going to email. And for once uh, in my life, I'm not going to let that certain promoter who I will remain nameless because I love him. <laughs> I'd like to play a show in Boston again. But like, not have him ask me to ask again. You guys know Paul Lorenzo. Um, Paul, first off, doesn't even like people being near him. Never let someone touching his kit. Like that scene in <laughs> Step Brothers where like, did you touch my kit? That is literally Paul. So every time I'd ask Paul to let someone use his kit through the same guy, he would just be like, the same if you ask someone, can I use your toothbrush? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like the, and he's like, yeah. But it's for our band. We're going to get exposure. We're going to get a better yeah. slot. Can, totally. can you use your own toothbrush? So, yeah. So, yes. Know your lane. Lanes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's honestly like I, I, I look at it this way. Like you just have to understand where you are. You've got to understand like that would be like showing up to, you know, a Formula One race and thinking you're just going to walk out on the grid and hop in a yeah. Formula One car out of your Honda Civic. And just be like, yeah, I'm here now. Like, you know, you got to understand where you are and what you're doing and who you're talking to, because there is no job in the music industry that's easy. Not anywhere from the bottom all mm -hmm. the way to the top. If you're Metallica, 
you are still walking into every single show going, how many tickets did we sell? Did we cover the nut? Is the promoter happy? What's going on with merch? We've put out a lot of money up front for our merch. Are we going to hit our numbers? It doesn't matter how big you are. You're still thinking about Mm -hmm. that. They put on a Ryan fest and lost their asses, right? Like you can still lose it. They made that movie and lost like $4 million. They're Metallica. Right. So yeah, but now they're making $8 million a night and the only person making more money than them is Ed Sheeran. So it's like, you know what? Like it's, it's like me saying, Hey, I lost 17 cents on Galaga in 1981. And like, well, that's how it, that's how it's like for Metallica to not make $4 million. I feel, but, but it's, but it's, it's a bigger thing than that because yes, maybe they're making 8 million a night. Right. But when they're making that 8 million a night, they're going to a promoter and saying, if you want us to play, we want $8 million. And if that promoter only brings in $7 million that night, that promoter is then no longer going to book them and give them $8 million. And that promoter is going to call every other promoter and go, Hey, I'm bankrupt now. I'm a million upside down. So there is consistently stress. It never stops. So there's the biggest rock star is still stressed about what's going on with them. So if you're talking to somebody who's higher up the chain, if you're talking to somebody else who's another part of the industry, understand what their stress is, learn, Learn what they mm-hmm. need to do their job. And if you can make their job easier, you're going to get what you need. But you well, can't just yeah, walk up to I'm, them and talk about like what you need. Talk so about like, oh, give me a record deal. Just fuck your record deal. The subtext <laughs> of, my, of my comment originally saying, what do you say to somebody um, that says they want to be a lamb of God, which is to me, uh, really the point that I was getting at is that this isn't easy. You don't do this for fun. Yeah. You don't do, there's nothing about this that isn't anxiety ridden. Um, mm-hmm. The whole reason you write good songs and stuff like you do, I'm sure, Jason, is the same why we do is because we have an inner conflict and we need a way to get it out. And we yell at people yeah. or we play guitar yeah. or violin. And, and and people that get into it because they want to get chicks and because they want to like be famous and they want to do be like Ed Sheeran or Taylor Swift. It, it, that's what I'm expecting when I say when people say they want to be the Lamb of God because people are delusional in the sense mm. there's one way of being delusional like Bono in that you you work for it really hard but you also think that you're the best person ever and that people will figure it out sometimes it's another thing to walk in and say hey we're owed this because we showed up with black leather pants and that's the yeah. thing I'm trying to differentiate to people is there's nothing mm. about music that's easy we said on on with David Abraziz even when Pearl Jam sold a million records in a week, they were only paying themselves $400 a month each, you know, and that, this is the that reality. Level of, yeah, that yeah. level, I was going to say that level of humility and like self-awareness is so important. And if there's one thing I have to say about like my experience, which is why perhaps I have been, let's say, lucky because I've ended up in all these Not situations. Not having your own bus. Is that... <laughs> no, is that I have maintained that level of humility and I don't treat a gig that's paying me $5,000 different from one that's paying me $100 because yep. I understand that people are people all coming you from different areas and they, it's a, yeah, of course there's some things I've done for free. You know, I was going mean, to say, really you're, you're stuck the, around, you've stuck around us for, I was going to say, I didn't pay you. <laughs> you actually flew yourself down here. I was like Tom Sawyer no, going, the, you should paint this fence, Huck. <laughs> no, but the point is people know that they can rely on my level of professionalism and that I'm going to respect yep. their project and what they're doing and that I'm going to do my absolute best job regardless of what they're offering me. And then yep. when you maintain that reputation, that's something that spreads really fast. Someone says, well, you know what? If you don't want to have to worry about your violinist, hire Siobhan, because they know that I'm going to do my homework. I'm not going to ask questions from people that are too busy dealing with stuff. Dustin deals with this all the time. People will try and get in his face about something that's like down here when he's operating up yeah. here, you know, and there's yep. all these other people in between they need to talk to first. And that yep. pisses someone off because 
you know, he's trying to maintain the big picture of stuff and then gets bogged down by little things. And I mean, yeah, I'm sure that yeah. he knows with me, it's like, I'm not going to bother asking him about something that I can well, figure I mean, out that's myself why the first troglodyte or go through the whole process ever, first. The troglodyte should never mix with the Lords. It's just feudalism. <laughs> I mean, I will say this though, that the other thing about that too, is that it is astonishing how, and I, I'm going to use this word easy. Easy may not be the right word, but how how quickly it is possible to move through the ranks, especially on the business side of the music industry. Because if you are competent and you work hard and you're willing to work hard, it is, does not take that long to work your way. I mean, look, I'm an example of it. I was a house painter and a year and a half later, I worked at Epic Records. And that is and that, just by the because... Way, that's such an unbelievable story. And I really, mm -hmm. every one of the episodes that we have someone tell a story like that, um, you know, like Adam was tell Adam Gilbert from Starset was telling us how he worked really hard in high school and put himself uh, and worked on drums and read books and hearing you say, "Look, man, I painted house, I painted houses," but you know what? Uh, first off, I had someone that believed in me enough to say, "You know what? Let's put some money in the kitty." But I believe in you, and you know what? Look, you're here right now. You've worked like the the list of people that you've worked with is astonishing, and you should be proud of yourself. And you are an example, and this is why I said this of one of the hardest working people in the music industry, and probably why Thank you're you. anxious all the time, just like me. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You know, and, yeah. and I thank you. I, I really appreciate that. You know, but it's just it's something that you got to keep in mind because you know, as you're saying that you do go do that free gig or you go do that $100 gig, you don't know who else is also doing a free gig or a $100 gig right there. And that PA might Garth actually did a free be- free gig in the, in, in the park and that's why, because he did the free gig in the park. Remember that <laughs> was true. the biggest gig ever. And then he was trying yeah. to make it the biggest selling album. He made like 17 covers because he's a fucking genius and it's country. Just just going back to the Garth Brooks thing. Country, yeah. <laughs> But, the, but, you know, the point I'm trying to make, though, is that, like, it's important to always be, as you're saying, Siobhan, professional and things like that, because the person you're talking to today that you think is nobody, you may walk into mm -hmm. a room two weeks from now, and all of a sudden, they're the person that decides your fate because of where mm -hmm. they are and how the industry works. And it's just so important. Know your lane. Know yeah. what you're doing. Always be professional. Well, because it's a, small, no idea. it's a small industry. Well, it really tiny. is. Well, one of the so, credos we've tiny. always said on the show is that it's the same people on the way up as it is on the way down. And 100%. one of the first things that Scott Benson, again, our sponsor at uh, the label for Lost Symphony, said to me is never burn bridges. So I was like, I'll invite him onto my show. Yeah. He's <laughs> I, I see what you did there. That's funny. I see what you did there. <laughs> oh, man. That's funny. oh man. No, but you so got true. 20, 20. I got <laughs> No, but going back to the to reference Garth Brooks again, not that that's the theme of the show, but one thing and that I remember from role. that from that documentary was he was talking about I think it was the second time he tried going to Nashville and he went with his manager across to all the different labels and they basically all said no, we're not interested, we're not interested. And he was playing like this regular gig at one of these places where the labels would go scout. And so a lot of people, I guess, had showed up to see this other artist. He was there super early. He was like ready to play whenever. This one artist was late. They said, hey, Garth, you want to go on? All these label execs that just turned him down were there to see this other artist. He got up and played and they all came back. They're like, you know, maybe we made the wrong choice. <laughs> right. You want to know, you everybody know wanted about him. Corey? Corey's what? biggest, biggest, <laughs> most heard thing that he's ever done on the bass. <laughs> is Garth Brooks. No, well, technically, I guess. Millions! <laughs> millions that of wasn't views! A cover of Garth Brooks. Well, yeah, but I'm saying. Oh, wow! Yeah, 
Corey. I didn't even know about that. Corey, oh, I, I, Corey and I. Ben, and I. ben and I worked on the All That Remains cover at, at the studio with, with Ollie. Oh. Yeah. Oh. And, and I, I am uncredited bass player. And I am the uncredited <laughs> pianist and yeah. arranger. When we got that song, to give you guys an idea, it, it sounded like... Howard Benson said, yeah. and quote unquote, and I'll say it because I'm sure he'll tell you the same thing. It sounded like a bar band covering um, the Thunder Rolls, and it did. It didn't have a solo in it. It had like no. It, I'm like, first off, how do you have a fucking all that remains song and you're covering without Bro- with without Ollie doing a solo? And it was just like really muted. So Corey and I kicked our ass to put it together, and we thought it was awesome. And what we sent off to him, we thought was amazing, and it got <laughs> changed a little bit. Um, you know, with the chick being added and some other they things. They chopped it up. But, it's, as, as people do, they were struggling. But our when biggest we're success to, to ever, we don't get, I had to change it on Wikipedia myself um, <laughs> because it said Howard Benson did it, but. Yeah. It, Thank God we get it on video. Otherwise, no yeah, one but, but our biggest success, Siobhan, was playing country, namely <laughs> Garth Brooks. Wow. Well, but I I guess what my point of the story was that you're right, like luck doesn't necessarily exist in the way that people ascribe it to, you know, others, they think you're lucky, but a lot of it is that that person was there and they were ready and they would like showed up hours before, you know, and they just knew when their time was to step in, you know, so it's about stepping up and being there, you know. He's done that his whole career. I mean, because if you remember, he was, you know, the biggest country star on the planet next to maybe Travis Tritt in the Mm nineties. And then he did Mm -hmm. that Chris Gaines record that Mm -hmm. nobody talks about that rock and roll record that didn't exist. Right. 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 That happens. He's in this situation where like his fans don't know what's going on. He's this big pop country star. There's people that are like, Mm -hmm. that's not real country, whatever it is. And then he, either he or his manager, I don't know who it is, but one of them decided that he was going to do SNL. And he went and Mm -hmm. did SNL and the opening, the cold open of that SNL was a bunch of cowboys, ragged old cowboys sitting around a fire out in the middle of the (laughs) desert going, you know what I love about the, about being a cowboy. I love rustling them cows. And they're talking about cowboy stuff. They get to the fourth person and the fourth person turns around and they've got a rhinestone cowboy hat on and a, and a Britney Spears mic. And it's Garth Brooks. And he goes, what I love about being a cowboy is, is like, you know, my million dollar house and, my, and just like, <laughs> and just punks himself, right. Yeah. Just completely punks himself. And I watched that and I was like, that's it. I'm a Garth Brooks fan. I don't care. Yeah. I don't, I will never listen to his music, but like the fact that he had the clarity to just go, now it's time. Now I need yeah. to take the piss out of myself and like turned his career around. I, I think yeah. if he yeah. hadn't done something like that and hadn't just been humble and been like, here I am. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm a rhinestone cowboy. I don't think he would be where he is today. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, uh, we're coming up on it guys. This is the, uh, the end. Of the- well, I, first off, oh, I wow. want to say, I, I want to say thank you to Jason because, um, yeah, oh my God, so much he's value. The, well, he's like not- everything you said is gold. Well, and, I, and I want to say thanks thank to you. Scott for paying Jason so he can share all this informational <laughs> booth thanks, Scott. information. Well, we because, always say thanks Scott. Well, no, Cause right. it's really important for people to know <laughs> that like we really met Jason because he comes in and he fixes bands. He knows like when, Cause when you're in a band, like one of the hardest things beyond like, I don't know, writing a song and making it good, um, is actually knowing what the fuck to do when you have it. And really, totally. uh, I, Paul Geary, who was a good friend. We've talked about him a bunch. We called him. We're like, well, what do we do now? And he's like, well, you should call Jason. Like he was the wolf in Pulp Fiction. Like, well, I got a guy. And then like Jason showed up like 23.4 seconds later and it was like, 
here are all the problems you have. And it was like 75 pages. <laughs> and we were overwhelmed. We were literally overwhelmed. And it's been now quite You guys time. already released this? And, and yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah oh no, listen, listen, all the things that Jason has said over these months, he's been right about everything. But like, talk about anxiety. Yeah. We you. have been the number one anxiety <laughs> attack for this guy. So I'm so glad that you were able to come on and share a lot of your just sage-like knowledge with us because we only had the Brontosaurus before. And I call him the Brontosaurus because he's from another time. He really is like a fucking oracle. But you yeah. are just, again, in the Venn diagram of things, there is the old way, the Tony Soprano, and you're like the Al Pacino moving up in Carlito's way saying, I'm going to be somebody. And I appreciate that about you, Casey. <laughs> I hope someday I am somebody. Just, Thank just you. Don't, just don't befriend <laughs> oh Sean gosh, Penn. So All right. I promise Can I won't. Can you stick around for another one? I'll do it. It'd be great. All right. Well, Woo! listen, if you guys awesome. just got fucking 2020, we'll see you later. 2020-D.com. <laughs> Bye. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.